0: Welcome to Work in Progress, the show where we talk about work and how it's changing. Because we believe everyone is an expert in their own experience, we want to talk to people you might not normally hear from. If you think you have something interesting to share about your work, how it's changing, or how it ought to, let us know. You might find yourself on here one day. All right, so this week we're going to be speaking with Sarah Lightfoot. Uh, Sarah supports leaders who want to make their visions come true through shared responsibility in the workplace, um, through focusing on different things like the processes that they have. And I'm wondering if you could just start us off by telling us a little bit more about like what that works looks like with you. What are you doing with leaders when you're trying to help them make their visions come true through shared responsibility? Like what does that look like for you?
1: yeah. Hi, everybody. Hi, Conrad. Thanks so much for inviting me here. I'm sure. really glad to be speaking with you. Yes. I work with leaders who want to make their visions come true. And what I do know and what uh, my clients know is that it can't be done. Whatever vision they have can't be done without the people that are, um, that, that are working for them. And so I, really work with them to create an operating system that has work system and social system that supports them to get to where they want to go. So that means really clear priorities, resource allocation, decision processes, kind of agile work processes, and on the social system, it's really about you know, really values-based behaviors. How do we have productive conflict, tolerance for ambiguity and widen the range for what we consider to be leadership behaviors um, so that everyone can feel included.
0: I love that. And I think, you know, you and I have had many off podcast conversations about leadership and something that came up in one of our discussions recently was this whole notion of the great resignation. And um, as I was thinking through, you know, as we observe this uh, taking place across the economy, um, I think a lot about our our conversations and especially when you talk about like shared responsibility. So just, you know, 10,000 foot view, um, what do you think we're experiencing with this great resignation anyway? What are people responding to? Why are they choosing the different paths they're choosing? Like, how do you assess what we see?
1: Thank you so much for this question. And I think all of us have the common experience of this pandemic and that this has brought forward a universal human experience of vulnerability of um, a sense of meaning like why am i doing what i'm doing because you know think life can be shut, cut short and you know daniel pink talks about what actually motivates us and it's three things it's mastery the opportunity to master something, autonomy, the opportunity to have some autonomy in, in what you do and purpose. And, you know, what he found is that it's not money that are the biggest motivators, right? It's, it's, it's these three things. And as, as we, you know, are really hit with this existential, you know, climate crisis and, you know, people are really looking for opportunities to have really good experiences. And so why would we be in places where that, those three aspects are not, you know, are, are not alive for us. Uh, so I think that that's, that's a big part of it. And also I think there's a hidden thing that's happening, which is that, you know, some people got really sick and not everybody's coming back to work because, they're sick, or their loved ones are sick, and now they got to take care of people and take care of themselves.
0: <laughs> definitely, yeah, definitely. I, when I, when you talked about um, you know the shared experience of the pandemic, I often think about it as a, a collective trauma that's ongoing over now over two years, and it's I think you know when I see the Great Resignation as you know one manifestation of how we're coping. With that trauma, I think something that you that you touch on in your work, you know, and looking at the social sides of work, I think a lot of um, consultants um, and you know, like management consultants and things like that, are often very looking looking closely at like KPIs and productivity and all these these things that kind of really come down to bottom line thinking. And so I always appreciate that that you discuss like the social element of work because we are social creatures. And so when I'm thinking about, you know, the great resignation, I often think about like workplace culture and, you know, what is our, yes. you know, various cultures, what are the various cultures centering around? So how do you, what are there some common threads that you've seen related to that? Like the people experience of culture at work, like how how has that shifted in these past few years, you know, before the pandemic and now during this current wave that we're in? Yeah,
1: um, the other, the other big trend that, that has happened in workplaces is DEI, right? That's a big one, right? This, this aspiration that many companies have to be more inclusive, to be more diverse. Um, so that, that's, that's something that I think has become um, a really big initiative. And unfortunately, um, the, that initiative has often like sequestered off to a corner right? So you have, instead of, you know, instead of the leaders themselves, right, getting trained in DEI and really thinking about what does it mean to be a diverse company and who do we need to become? It's, it's, let's hire some people to take care of this problem. And the problem with that is that it doesn't get integrated into the culture, right? And so you have people as part of the great resignation, you know, perhaps being told, that they can express themselves more authentically, that this is safer. But then when, you know, when more diverse people come into the ranks, they're finding that maybe the culture hasn't changed so much just because they proclaim all these things or because there's these trainings, because people haven't really internalized what it means to support a truly diverse workforce that is bringing you know, different ways of working and being to the workplace. And that oftentimes people are finding that this is not for me, Um, even though they're bringing their brilliance and their shine. It's like, that's not a place where I get to be fully myself. And so um, to, you know, so that's one thread I'm seeing, right? At at a high level in workplace culture. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that that's really unfortunate because I think DEI, you know, we do have this moment right now where there is this opening for us to become more of an inclusive uh, workplaces, and I think that um, you know, by leader leaders really taking this on personally and going on on their own personal journey is part of that, uh, and and that's something that I would like to see. Another thing, because of the pandemic, is because of um, virtual work, right? And That means that uh, when I talked about mastery, autonomy, and purpose, there's a lot of surveillance that's kind of happening now. And I don't know, I think that kind of goes against those three things. So, um, you know, I personally am really excited to see um, when companies are creating goals that aren't prescriptive, right? Goals that, you know, have, have a bar that you're supposed to meet, but there's not, there's like multiple ways for you to get there right? And it's not, it's not prescriptive. Um, You were going to say something, Conrad, I'll I'll, I'll pass it back to you.
0: Oh, um, well, you're just hitting a lot of points that I feel like I've considered these last few years as well. And even before the pandemic, um, when I think, you know, there was, it seemed like there was a good, in, in my personal experience, you know, maybe two, three years where DEI was really starting to come to the fore in conversations and organizations. And, again, like a lot of the stuff that I was observing, you know, when I would go and work with clients um, and and collaborate with, you know, their DEI group was a lot of the structural stuff. And I think uh, like what you, I'm wondering if that's maybe some of the things that you were referring to, like let's hire an outside consultant. They'll come in, they'll help us update our policies, maybe help us create employee resource groups and create these structures. But, it seemed like there's always this missing discussion about like, how do we relate to each other in, the, in that environment, right? It's not just like what policies can we point to and say we're doing it, but how do I experience work daily? And so when I'm thinking about you know, your work with um, you know, shared responsibility, I, I guess I think about like what, what do we owe to each other at work? Um, Mm -hmm. it's a place where you are very, the most, I think most likely to encounter difference, um, as opposed to in your private life where you select the people who you want to spend your time with at work, you don't really get that choice. So you encounter difference all the time. And I think that kind of asks us to bring a different set of relational skills. So I'm just wondering how you, what you think we owe to each other, um, you know, in sort of a shared responsibility sense uh, in this environment.
1: Yeah, I think that when you say, what do we owe each other? I, I, I think that the leaders in the company are going to be or whatever organization you're part of are gonna be really setting that tone. And that you know we can have all the individual desire that we want for being an activist inside of organizations to do the right thing, but it's those leaders you know, really, really setting the tone of what we owe each other. And I think what we, what, what I would like to see leaders is being a lot more explicit about that, right? So, so a lot of what leaders, um, I, I feel like leaders are doing is, is just having a lot of assumptions about what professionalism is, about what, um, how we do work around here and not making it explicit. And that makes it really hard for people then to be in choice about, is this the right place for me, right? So, you know, you can have these values, but what does that look like? How does those, how do those values translate into, into um, actions, right? So, you know, one, one thing that I think is, can be beneficial if you can set it up is, you know, really um, productive conflict, that dissent is normal, and how, and 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 that you have leaders that are um, asking for it, right? And and like wanting more diverse views because that is going to make your business excellent because you are going to be looking at what are some different ways to do this. What is the real impact of what we're doing on our stakeholders and our customers? That information lives in the people that are on the front lines doing the work. And if you're not creating a culture where people can bring that forward, and then, um, you know, it's tough. And if leaders are explicitly saying, I want to (laughs) hear, you know, and I will circle back to you and let you know, like I'm making the decisions and I may not, you know, I have a lot of priorities, but I want to know, and your voice matters, right? And so, one of the things that I often do with with um, with teams uh, when I first am starting, you know, to work with them, is is have like this exercise about what's better, a spoon or a fork, and you know, let's have a big <laughs> argument about this, right? And then I ask, what what would be possible? What would be what information and creativity could come forward if we could have arguments like this around something that really matters? to the work around a strategic choice that we have, what better um, arguments and thinking would come about?
0: All right, I wanna dive deeper on some, some of the stuff you just sure. said. Um, the, a lot, all of that really resonated with me because I think the mistake I see so often is hearing leaders express that, like, I wanna hear from you. I wanna, you know, quote unquote, activate the diversity that already exists in a particular workforce. But alongside that, you know, then you get crickets or like maybe a few people speak up, but there's this whole notion of like psychological safety that I think oftentimes leaders are, are missing there where they say, well, well, if I just asked, you know if I've created this space, why don't people move into it? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how you, how you work with folks like that who maybe recognize that yes, like diversity. We, I mean, that's been proven over and over that diversity can lead to innovation but actually creating safe spaces for those diverse voices to rise up and truly speak, like how do leaders really do that?
1: Right, so I recently trained um, a legal team in a company that really wanted more participation. And here's what we did. We had, uh, we made sure that um, everyone got to participate uh, by doing the following things. Um, We started out with low stakes questions right? And we either did a go around where everybody said one thing, um, you know, and, and normalized that we're going to do go arounds, right? And everybody's going to speak. And so just even from the very start of the meeting, right? That that's the expectation, you know, and it can be really low stakes. What mood are you in? What's one thing that you were thinking about when you're logging in, right? And how you start something is how, People feel like the space is—is is this a space where I speak, or is this a space where I get talked at? Right, and you can't just say that and say, "Oh, I, I want you to speak," <laughs> and then have people do it because it's it's. But if everybody's doing it, right, and it's normalized, and you do go rounds, or you know, if your group's too big and you can't do a go around, you just put people in breakout rooms and um and to answer a question, and then you come back. And you say, you know, what's what's a theme coming up, right? Um, And that, you know, that kind of pulls people forward. Say, this is a place where I talk, right? Even if it's about something low stakes at the beginning, right? And then later on, we repeat those um, around some of the questions that we're asking. And so I think the other thing is, you know, are you asking a question that's meaningful and engaging? Um, Or are you just saying, you know, who who has a thought about this, right? So specific questions that support us furthering our thinking. So is the question, you know, it could be about, um, you know, what do you think the best solution to this problem is? Putting people in breakout rooms to just noodle on it for a couple of minutes, then come back and just scribe and say, I don't, you know, we're not going to make a decision today, but I want some input on this. Um, or, um, you know, I'm gonna make the decision, but I want people's ideas.
0: I love that. I love, um, you know, something I wanted to lift up that I was just hearing first, like that, that sort of graduating um, the stakes of go-arounds, right? So we start with this base level where everyone feels comfortable expressing, you know, their state of mind in that moment. And then slowly moving towards statements That might be higher risk for some folks and I also like that you discuss creating uh, breakout rooms for large groups, but I also think that's effective because sometimes people might not feel comfortable expressing themselves in that larger group meeting, but maybe in a smaller team. They feel like they have more space and opportunity to really express what they feel so I love those those ideas of um, slowly normalizing that style of communication, uh, even frankly for leaders who may feel like that's what they wanna hear, but they haven't created the cultural practices that actually bring out that diversity of thought and experience. Um, So I'm hearing that, right? I'm hearing uh, go-arounds and breakout rooms and and normalizing um, sharing. And so I I think those are all great practices. What are some other um, artifacts that you try to have groups create so that they can create that culture of shared responsibility? What are some other outputs of work that um, you yes. might help folks create together?
1: Yeah, so I think it's really important to have, um, so, so I would say uh, information transparency and also decision-making transparency. So um, a lot of times when I'm working with folks, I can see that there's, there's information that's located in so many different places. Right? We have so many different platforms and it's exhausting for people, right? And it's hard to see the whole. Part of the way that we think and, and um, that supports good thinking is having some sense of integration and sense for the whole, right? And so I work with teams to create a dashboard that will help them know like, where are we and where are we going, right? That's very simple because together we can look at the whole. Right. And that that supports, uh, that supports shared responsibility because together we have this thing that we're looking at where are we on our KPIs and what, what is going on here? Um, but the other, you know, other things should be on there as well, which are, you know, just easy, like you can easily access um, the information that you need to get your work done. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is decision making. If you don't know what, how decisions are made around the regular questions that come up on your team, you are second guessing and spending a lot of time figuring out what's, what, what, what's really wanted here. Do people really want my opinion or not? So really clear about how the decision with me is made and who makes the decision is super, super important um i see a lot of microaggressions come up because there's so little transparency there's more misunderstanding right and then people feel like you know there there's you know there there are things that happen in those communication things that are really dark and you don't really need to go there if it's really transparent right so, um, the second thing uh, I would say around decision making is really breaking the binary of yes and no. So, a lot of things that um, I do with teen, one of the things that I do with teens is, uh, is it what, what I mean by the binary is that it's yes and no is often not a binary, right? It's more of a gradient. So, is it yes? I really think that this is the thing. That is going to move our team forward, or is it? Yes, I am so tired of talking about this, and I'm done. Right? Is it no over my dead body, or is it if we tweaked it, I would I would be for it. Right? So, um, another way to normalize dissent is is to have a gradient of agreement. Right? So it's one, I I don't I don't like it at all, and five is like I'm super enthusiastic, and you can get a temperature of your team. Right? Where are they on this issue? And then you know how much energy and support there is for something. And that's data that leaders can really use.
0: I love that. That sounds, uh, maybe we're cross-referencing different things in our minds, but that sounds like fist to 5, maybe? Yes, it that's, is. I've used that tool a lot. You're, you're speaking to, I had a really um, interesting engagement with a client recently about decision making, which actually was not the purpose of that project at all but kept coming up in my facilitations Mm -hmm. with them. And we talked Mm -hmm. a lot about that because these huge, you know, experience changing decisions would come down from on high. Oftentimes nobody knew that these decisions were even being made. And then they would just, you know, come out from behind closed doors and say, it's this now. And everyone's expected to fall in line, which is, you know, in a certain regard, like kind of disrespectful for my experience, just, At a baseline like you didn't want to know what i thought about this decision at all um Mm -hmm. but also it makes it a lot harder to implement those decisions because you're not really aware of what the what the process was that helped people get to that point um so i really love everything that you're just saying about you know including people in the decision making process even if you say up front say i might be the ultimate decider but i'm going to help you understand what this process is i'm going to gather your input because I know that you work here too, and we have a shared responsibility towards the larger objectives of this place.
1: Yes, and that's why I talk about the operating system of work as being both social, right, and, and you know, task, right? It, it, you can't, and, and those two are really integrated. So exactly, if a decision is made, and I haven't had a voice in it, and it really impacts my work, that's, that's violating that, that human need for some autonomy, right? And uh, some mastery. It's like, okay, I'm, I've been working on things this way. Now I'm doing it another way. And so really knowing the why can really, really help. So um, just one quick story, I got a vaccination recently and I was told that, you, know, you, need, to, you need to stay here for 15 minutes to make sure that you know, nothing bad happens. I got put in a room by myself for 15 minutes. Right. So yeah, so that worker understood the, 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 that this was what is to be done. This is the process, but they didn't know why. And so the obvious thing about being monitored, you know, was implicit, right? Um, but it wasn't because how the why behind for the customer safety it is necessary for them to be monitored and you know that that would just have naturally occurred from a care, you know a caring person which this pharmacist was um, it would have naturally occurred to them to monitor me but they just didn't know you know and <laughs> when i talked with them about it it just turned out that they they were like oh Oh, that's true. You know what I mean? They just hadn't thought of it because they didn't really think about there wasn't this values of of everybody needs to be safe as we administer things, right? So that that value didn't kind of get installed. And I'm just imagining, yeah, a bunch of processes and procedures got handed to this person, and you didn't get to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and that's such a common experience, I think, um, for you know frontline workers and individual contributors. It's there's I think there's a an implicit, well, and explicit hierarchy in leadership's yeah. heads where like when you get to those people, it's like, well, they just need to know what to do. They don't need to know why <laughs> or, or have any nuance around it or, or, or input. Um, so I really, I think you've highlighted a bunch of great things today. I, I'm going to ask you one more question sure. that, could, that could be related to all of this or not. It's really up to you. Um, but now that 2021 is behind us, um, I'm wondering if there were any books or resources or anything like that that you experienced in the past year that you want to lift up and, and share with folks or any authors or, or, or thought leaders that you think are, are worth listening to.
1: Oh, thank you so much. You know, one thing that I think has been transformative for me and that I recommend is really, really cure because I'm, I, I am like others, you know, have some addiction to social media, right? We're, we're all on our phones frequently. How do I use that information for good? Right. And so one of the, and, and for my own development in ways that, that support me. So what I've done is I've purposely, purposely curated my feed to really have voices that, um, you know, I'm, I'm white. And so I and, and my, my business is about creating shared responsibility with and, and that means working with diverse companies. So for me, what's been really um, helpful is really following a lot of people of color on LinkedIn and on Instagram so that I can really build my, I can expand my imagination about what it's like, what the experience is like. And then I find that I am bringing that to leaders and that that's, that's been of high value um, because, yeah, because um, you know, we are all socialized in certain ways to view people in certain ways and in, 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 in the way that the media portrays people of color, honestly. And so I'm working actively to counter that and to support le- my leaders to, you know, that I work with to counter that.
0: I love that it's also i think injecting a little bit of sanity if my social media feed I, I do the same thing it used to be a little haywire and stressful to read sometimes but now i, I like to i do a similar thing where I, I feel like you can make that social media feed inform you and and really um contribute to your own growth uh, mm-hmm. as a person and a professional hmm well Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me and share a little bit more about your work. And um, where can people find you out there in the digital world if they wanted to know more about you and what you do?
1: Yeah, so uh, a great place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Sarah Lightfoot, it, it's, I'm pretty easy to find. And I um, actually have a website Um And uh, as well, it's a bit.ly backslash come about, um, I'm come about consulting, um, which is both reference, referencing, you know, making something come about, um, with your team. And also, uh, in boats, we talk about how sometimes you need to change direction, right. Come about. And, uh, that's, that's a nautical term. So bit.ly, uh, slash come about is where to find me and you can sign up for my newsletter there.
0: Right. And I'll put all that information in our show notes so listeners can uh, definitely Thanks so come much, find Conrad.
1: you there. Thank yeah, you Sarah, it's been a for pleasure. having me here. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, well hopefully we'll do this again soon. And I uh, wish you a happy 2022.
1: Thanks. You too, Conrad.
0: Work in Progress is a production of Mayas Learning. You can find us on the web at mayaslearning.com. That's M-A-I-U-S learning.com.